Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So uh, super exciting today, the guests that we have. I mean, she's been there, done it, you know, done the full cycle, you name it. I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit, a powerhouse. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Marcy Saro. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and share our journeys together. So let's do a, a little bit of a walk through memory lane, Marcy. Um, you were born in Philadelphia, but then you moved quite a bit. So tell us about your upbringings. Yeah, well, it's a funny full circle because I'm actually in Pennsylvania right now. Just uh, unexpectedly, my husband kind of brought me back here during COVID. But um, I grew up in Florida. I always joke that, you know, my background in, in sustainable fashion is I got best dressed in high school, you know, which you can't say much when you're in Florida. Uh, but I also, you know, always had a passion from the time I was, you know, in my early teens um, about health and wellness and the environment. My girlfriend gave me a book when I was 16 called Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain. And I read it and I soaked it up and it just had this, you know, like aha moment that there's more than what we see. And that kind of set me off on my life work and my journey over the last 30 plus years. So went to school at California. Of course, I was drawn to Berkeley. Uh, got a degree um, finance and marketing from Haas Business School. And uh, because of my passion around health and wellness, you know, I was actually cooking organic and natural foods and big lunches for people that I was working with. And it, that moment or question that people often ask me, what's that thing that people don't see on your LinkedIn? I actually um, got my investment banking licenses um, very young. And so during the time that I was at Haas, I also was working as an investment banker in San Francisco. Uh, so got my feet wet in business, but also was the kid with the lemonade stand. So I was always like thinking of, you know, my next business idea. And in 1990, I moved to New York and I created my first official business, not including all the, you know, calligraphy businesses and all the things I did growing up. My first official business, which today is known as the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. It started out of my apartment basically to take people on this journey of health and, and you know, wellness and self-realization and discovery. And that school just sold to a PE firm a couple of years ago for a lot of money. And this school has now certified over, I think, 170,000 people in 150 countries around the world as health coaches. So that kind of got me, you know, deep in the trenches of education. 
And through that process, I met the founder of Aveda, who I had already been exposed to Aveda as a brand and was really, really drawn to it, inspired by it. You know, this idea that this beautiful brand, you know, you kind of get drawn into. And then you start to read the packaging and it's like, you know, plant-based wisdom, ancient, you know, indigenous cultures, healing, the healing power of plants. And it really um, struck a deep chord in me. So I loved Aveda when I met the founder. We just became fast friends. He ended up being my mentor of over 25 years, um, got married at his house, spoke at his funeral when he passed away, wrote the forward to my book. But he was just an amazing, iconic leader that really, you know, I mirrored in certain ways when I coined and trademarked the term eco-fashion in 1995. It was really to try to emulate in some ways what Horst was doing on the personal care side with Aveda. And um, I started the first sustainable fashion and home brand in North America called Under the Canopy with this premise that we all live under the canopy of the planet's ecosystem together. And it was always about connecting the dots from food to beauty to fashion and fiber. Um, my whole, you know, last 30 years life work. And so over the course of the last, you know, 25 plus years, really focusing on fashion and textiles, I have started a number of companies, been involved in a number of initiatives, served on boards, written standards like GOTS and Fair Trade and Cradle Cradle Fashion Positive. I was involved in launching. Um, but, you know, today, fast forward 30 years in the making, I am the founder and CEO of Eco Fashion Corp. And we call ourselves a greenhouse of brands because I'm a soil junkie and everything really starts at the DNA and the style with soul at, you know, what we share and across all of our brands, which is, you know, the power of fashion to transform the world. It's such a powerful vehicle. And so we have uh, five of our own kind of, you know, sub brands under Eco Fashion Corp. MetaWare, which is the engine of our whole company. It is the manufacturing platform that I've spent, you know, all of these decades building in India with a team on the ground there, with a general manager running our office there. Um, India has been my happy place, you know, for most of my life um, going there and really building supply chains. And then we have two brands that live exclusively on QVC, where I get to go on air and meet the mass market consumer where they are and help, you know, activate, educate, inspire them around why it does make a difference to buy, you know, fashion that has purpose embedded into it. Uh, and then we have a, a direct-to-consumer brand called Yes And, which is at joinyesand.com. And that is really the embodiment of my, my life work in terms of the mantra of what I do and why I do it. Yes And is all about no compromise. We can give people everything they want. That's the yes. And the and is the, oh, by the way, it can also be socially and environmentally responsible. It's not one or the other. And so I've taken that that philosophy and embedded it into everything that I've done throughout the course of my career. And it sounds like throughout the course of your career too, I mean, there's one word that comes to mind and that is consciousness. The way that you're bringing consciousness at you know, anything that you do. How did you get the, uh, the drive or, or what are the origins of, 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 of putting consciousness on everything that you do? Yeah, well, you know, going back to when I read that book, Living in the Light, and it, it activated my own light, like, right, like the lifeline to truth, in my opinion, is our gut. And when you when you when you listen to your gut, when you trust your gut, when you have that sort of 
aha, right? It's bigger. It's, it's not the head that's speaking. It's the heart. It's the vibration within. And it really does start with the light, right? Which, which is really the source. So when you start to think metaphorically about source, right? Where everything starts, where all of the answers are, then you can start to find that sort of, oh, you know, it's on the food, the farm to table movement, like what's in my food, because it starts there. Remember, everything we put in on and around us is an extension of who we are. We are made of energy. Everything is made of energy. So when you start to think about the source, what kind of energy do you want to put in on and around you is really kind of was the catalyst for me as I started to think about first food, which in Maslow's hierarchy of needs is our first basic need, right? What we put in our bodies, the Hippocratic Oath, let food be thy medicine, right? Because it can heal us if we understand how to work with food in an intelligent way. And that's when I sort of, you know, met Horst and the connection to beauty and understand that beauty starts within. And again, going to the source of our beauty products, which today, you know, look at CVS and Dwayne Reed and Walgreens, they're lining their shelves with clean beauty. But back in the day, right, it was this like novel idea, but it made so much sense to me always. Having consciousness infused into product was not to me a uh, an if, it was always a when. Like, when are people going to understand that we don't have to put poison in and on us, our bodies? If we choose not to, every moment is a choice. And as Albert Einstein once said, we can't solve today's problems with the same consciousness that created those problems. So we have to climb the ladder of consciousness and think about how do we you know, shift the paradigm of the industries that are no longer serving us, starting with food. And again, as Maslow's hierarchy of needs evolving into shelter and clothing. And that's why I had that aha into clothing and home textiles that, oh my gosh, it's not just what we put in our bodies that matters. It's what we put on our bodies because the skin is our largest organ. You know, it's our primary organ for absorption. And another metaphor that really sort of, you know, really sunk into me in a very deep way was the soil and the ecosystems of our planet, which are also there to serve us when their own inherent immune systems are strong, right? So when you start to think about source, you know, from the standpoint of our land and ocean ecosystems that are the, big, the origins of many of the products that we buy, and you start to think about turning on the light within us, and, you know, we're living in this modern day Star Wars, right, where the dark and the light forces are kind of at odds, but we have to turn on the light because if we want to create or design a better future for all of us, we all need to be at the table, right? We need to vote with our dollars. We need to collaborate in business. It's not about competition. It's about cooperation because we all are, you know, we're all facing the same potential end game here. So we need to, you know, we need to business as usual can't continue. So when you talk about consciousness and business, it really, to me, is the next chapter of business. Good business is no longer just about the bottom line. It's about people, planet profit, passion, and purpose. So I love that. So now in terms of, uh, I mean, your career as an entrepreneur is very extensive. So, I mean, what I'd like to do is I'd like to name, you know, doing like a kind of like a walk through memory lane, name the company that you founded basically for you to tell our listeners and the people that are following the conversation what the business model was, and more importantly, what was your lesson out of that business? So 
Why don't we start with the first one that you were alluding to that you started out of your apartment, and that was Institute for Integrative Nutrition. What was the business model and what was your lesson learned from that one? Yeah, so the model was to create a sense of community around the natural and organic health movement back in the, you know, in the beginning of the movement when people were, you know, seeking information, but the internet wasn't really a thing yet, right? So like, how do you learn the most important thing that we all have, which is our health, right? Like you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have your health, then what, you know, your life is going to be very different, right? So it's people coming and sort of seeking that guidance. So, you know, the, the certification program was really the, the bread and butter of the school. And so what I learned through that, you know, while all the other elements, the cafe, we had an organic cafe and the community events that we did and the magazine that we published called Macrocosm. I mean, these were all sort of external support systems or forces that really drove the certification program. So I think, you know, going into it, that wasn't the idea. So I think one of my greatest learnings, which I've taken with me all the way to this day is whatever you think is going to happen in business, it's not going to happen that way. Put your seatbelt on, be willing to pivot. Don't try to force square pegs into round holes, you know, enjoy the ride and allow the energy to flow. So when you feel it getting stuck, right? Like, cause energy just wants to flow law of physics, then don't force it. Find your way to just pivot. And that's part of the journey of being in business. And so that took me to my next chapter, right? Because I never thought I'd see the day that I wasn't going to be at the forefront, you know, driving IIN. And ironically, I've now, you know, have collaborated with IIN um, recently. So it's like a full circle, which is really fun for me um, with the new CEO. Uh, we've done a bunch of webinars and, and whatnot. So, um, but, you know, the next business was really um, born because it was this natural evolution where within the school, we had an Aveda concept salon because I had already met the founder of Aveda. We already discovered the power of collaboration that I could educate at the Aveda Institutes. He could educate at, at our school. We could have a spa that taught people about the in and on their bodies and that interconnection and relationship from you know agriculture to popular culture. And, and so I had um, this really fun uh, opportunity in, you know, in that sort of time frame, I guess around 1994-ish, um, to consult with some members of the Saudi Arabian royal family on some health-related um, concerns, you know, whether it was trying to get pregnant or then it ultimately had someone else wanted to lose weight and somebody else that was for their skin. And as I was consulting with these princesses, you know, I, we would go shopping on Fifth Avenue and I was a fashion consumer and I had already had that sort of aha that cotton and other, you know, other crops are all growing hand in hand in agriculture. So I'd already kind of been exposed to the, the mindset of like, Hmm, you know, I love fashion. Cotton is, you know, a third of the world's textiles. How come nobody's talking about this? And then we were shopping one day and these princesses were like, hey, you've turned us on to, you know, organic and natural food and beauty products. We even worked on a wellness center in Riyadh. And it was like, what about fashion? And I said, you know, I've been thinking about it. If I roll my sleeves up and I build this, will you support it? And they said, yes. So that became, you know, in some ways a catalyst for me to just say, I was also giving birth to my first child at the time. So it was a lot of change in my life. Um, and I sold the school in, in sort of the late 90s to my partner. Um, and during that transition, 
from the school, I sort of morphed into starting my first sustainable fashion and home brand, which was called Under the Canopy. And I started it from home um, and started it as a mail order catalog back in the day before there was direct to consumer, you know, through um, the Internet and started telling stories which was really the fun of having a catalog, right? Because brick and mortar retail is was very, very challenging to tell a story that had any kind of substance behind it, right? Because, you know, you got 10 seconds, not even to win over the customer when they would walk by on the shelf. And how do you possibly tell the story of the who and the what and the where and the why and the you know, the source story, right? So having a catalog was so powerful because this, I go back and I pull out the catalogs from, you know, 30 years ago or 25 years ago or whatever. And there, I'm still telling those same stories about why organic cotton, why 10 cell lyocell, why recycled poly, why these fibers matter, um, ethical manufacturing, getting to know your farmers and your workers. So, you know, it, it's like the same story, but it just keeps evolving. It's the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And I've learned a lot and I'm kind of a walking cliche that, right, what doesn't kill you makes you start smarter and stronger. Yeah. Um, but, you know, under the canopy really set me on that path, on the trajectory. And in 1999, I had this amazing opportunity where the president of Whole Foods and who became co-CEO um, came to me. I knew him through the natural products industry. A lot of my investors in Under the Canopy were leaders of the organic and natural food and beauty world. So, you know, whether it was Michael Funk, who founded United Natural Foods, or Mark Retzloff, who founded Horizon Organic Dairy, or, you know, people on my board, advisors from Horse to Jeff Hollander, who founded Seventh Generation. Um, I just had a, a rock star group of people around me and, you know, who really kind of propelled me to really own the space of of textiles. And so um, when Walter Robb came to me, he said, I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. Whole Foods is going to go from being these small footprint health food stores, these 30,000 square foot stores to 100,000 square foot mega stores. It's going to become a lifestyle um, store, kind of mirroring like the targets and the Walmarts of the world, but all organic and natural. How about if we give you 2,000 square feet and you do whatever you think and bring it to life? So I wrote the business plan for Whole Foods to go from food to fiber. I merchandised the entire assortment and, and laid out the whole floor plan and the signage and the mannequins and the photos and the dressing room. And I was at every single launch. We launched in every mega store that Whole Foods opened and we were in e retrofit into every existing Whole Foods. So that was a really exciting, really exciting ride um, for me because I was bringing my two worlds together, my food world and my fashion and fiber textile world. And that really put this category on the map of eco fashion or sustainable fashion. And that's when we started to get seen by a lot of other retailers. So suddenly I found myself in, you know, C-suites and executive suites of Target and Bed Bath & Beyond and Macy's and all these other retailers spearheading first time launches of this category and then fast forward so much more from there but nice i um, mean that, that that was actually a 22 year uh journey so i mean quite a marathon and so much more kind of you know woven into that tapestry of my ride um you know and, yeah. and that's part of the fun of being an entrepreneur right i'm you know i'm always learning i'm always growing and you know and i as i continue to see like where things are coming next like as more people come into what i'm doing i'm on to the next thing 
right? Mm-hmm. So I'm already thinking about like what's next in sustainable fashion and and lifestyle and home and you know and and there's just so much opportunity and I never see challenges as roadblocks. I've always seen them as my greatest opportunities to learn and grow, right? That's where it kind of forces you to stop and say, okay, you know, as long as you stay nimble, as long as you stay, you know, agile, you you really can keep you know keep growing and getting getting better every step of the way. So Beyond Brands is your next mm-hmm. baby. So uh, so what was the what, what was the business model there and and the lesson learned? Yeah. So um in uh in with Under the Canopy, I had an exit in 2009 and I started doing uh, writing and a lot more public speaking and consulting and um my husband who I met also through the natural products industry, he's an organic beverage and supplement entrepreneur um and leader and he was doing consulting as well. And so we decided to bring our world together and start Beyond Brands as a conscious consulting agency built on this kind of foundation of, you know, the lifestyle, food, beverage, beauty, fashion, supplements, cannabis and other plant-based, you know, plant medicine, therapeutics, you know, and other lifestyle products. And we curated what, who we believed were the top people in the industry who had also had exits like we did in other things and who could take on the different verticals. And so coming together, it's like my whole philosophy of, you know, one plus one equals 11, right? Because we're stronger together than we are apart. And I think we all discovered rather than having our own individual practices coming together would make us much stronger as a holistic entity, which is what we did. And we attracted the likes of not only, you know, uh, building an accelerator in partnership with another accelerator called SKU. So we now have Beyond SKU, which um, is, you know, helping many, many young entrepreneurial brands to get their feet into this movement um, of natural health and wellness, leveraging our collective expertise. But we also create brands with, you know, either founders who have an idea or even investors who have an idea and they want, you know, a company to build it. So through within Beyond Brands, um, during the course of those years before I came back to my eco-fashion roots, full steam, uh, we launched a number of brands, including Good Catch, which is the first plant-based seafood brand, kind of like the Beyond Meat of seafood. So I was the CMO of Good Catch and one of the co-founders and helped get it going and um, you know, get it built in terms of the whole foundation and framework. And, and fortunately, my husband and I had an exit of Good Catch in 2019, which was very exciting. Company is going strong now. And and you also raised money there. I mean, you also raised money there because uh, that was like the first uh, really time that you thought about capitalizing like that a company. So so why did you take that route, you know, with, with, with Good Catch? Well, fortunately, the way Good Catch came to be was we were approached by a, a private equity fund who, you know, had a similar um, idea as we had had internally, where we had been exposed to, you know, the we're all plant-based, I'm vegan, and, you know, we, our food vertical, that's all we do is plant-based. So, you know, when, when we were thinking about, wow, this is a white space, this whole, you know, seafood category, at that same moment in time, it was very synchronistic this private equity firm said, we're looking to invest in a plant-based protein that really addresses the seafood space and nobody's doing it. And so it was just the right moment in time for us to come together. So it was founded on 
by Beyond Brands and this um, company, New Crop Capital. And so we always knew, Eric and I, my husband and I, that it wasn't a permanent thing for us. We were going to get it going and then sell it off. Um, so that was always part of our, you know, kind of the way we created the business model. It was an outsourced executive model. None of us were full time. That it was the Beyond Brands team and fractional CMO, fractional CFO, fractional CEO. And we knew that once real money came in the door, because we got it through all the way through the Series A was almost nine million. And then um, we kept it going until all the way to the Series B. And uh, and then, you know, we exited where all of the people that were hired in were going to be full time dedicated to good catch. And that was never my that was never where I wanted to be or my husband. So that's why we exited. Now, now going back to the consciousness word that that keeps coming back to me uh, when you are thinking about doing deal making and especially, you know, with that drive, with that vision, with that way of seeing things. How do you go about as well when it comes to alignment, you know, with with investors or with employees so that they so that they're able to see things the same way that you're seeing them? Yeah, no, great question. Um, When I interview, I am very tuned in to what people say, how they say it, what they're looking for. And, you know, like for an example, I'm interviewing for a CFO right now. And it's unusual to find a CFO who's going to have passion about the kind of work that we do. But I'm listening to the questions they're asking or the things they're saying during these interviews. And I'm drawn to those who share my core values because I know and having watched, you know, how Whole Foods became the success that it did or Veda became the success that it did. And these were two companies that always were kind of role model companies for me. And even when I launched Under the Canopy, they were my first two wholesale customers, right? Because we shared core values. And that endorsement really was kind of this amazing, you know, pivotal juncture for Under the Canopy, where when I got that seal of approval from them, it set us on our way. So I do the same thing with employees, with investors. I mean, I look for impact investors. You know, right now we've done for Eco Fashion Corp. It's only in its, you know, two years in business. Um, I've done two bridge rounds so far, raised, you know, over two million and just bridge notes so far. And I'm about to kick off a series A fundraise. But all of my bridge investors in some way or another, whether they're, you know, foundations, institutions, some, um, you know, philanthropists, um, you know, they're they are sharing our our values in some way or another. And including, you know, one of our funds is called the Save Earth Fund. And that's run by um Chris Blair and, and Jim Cameron is involved in that. And so it's, you know, it's about doing well by doing good in the world. And I don't want investors who are just wanting to cut corners and get the cheapest, fastest. That's not our mentality. And that's certainly not what I'm signed up for in my career. So whether it's vendors, you know, that I'm interviewing for, you know, or or meeting with to work with on our metaware platform, or it's, you know people on my team, whether it's India or the US, I I really I take it very seriously when when there is that shared um value system because I think that is the key that unlocks collective success when you have that sort of win-win, how do we win together? How do we ultimately swim in the same direction? And and to your point, you know, how do we align our personal and professional values to make sure we're in balance as we forge ahead. So obviously this takes us to to your latest company, your latest baby. 
uh, and that mm -hmm. is Eco Fashion Corp. Uh, and when it comes to Eco Fashion Corp, how did the idea, you know, uh, come to you? And, and how did you go about really identifying that that was an idea? Because obviously an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. And Marcy, you strike me as someone that, you know, is always coming up with like really good stuff. Like when this came to you, at what moment did you realize I need to go after this? Yeah, well, so I started MetaWare while I was still consulting for Good Catch and, and Under the Canopy. And I started it because it fell into my lap. People know that I've spent my my career building, you know, supply chains around organic and sustainable textiles. And suddenly the world started to wake up, right? And people were saying, you know, out of the food or beauty industries, hey, Marcy, can you make us t-shirts for this event, for this you know, uniforms for trade shows, giveaways, campaigns. So whether it was Cliff Bar, Garden of Life or Dr. Bronner's or, you know, companies and in other industries that were coming to me. And so I started, you know, like, okay, how do I do this too on the side and support my friends across all these industries to get them what they want? Because I know I'm going to do it right. I'm going to make sure that if they're an organic brand, whether it's food, beauty, fiber, environmental group, whatever it is, that I can deliver them a turnkey solution. So it started very organically while I was doing these other businesses. And I was in partnership with a factory in the US where I was holding blanks and, and supporting you know, this, these programs. But what started happening is larger companies started saying, well, you're doing t-shirts. What about hoodies? What about leggings? What about dresses? What about you know, tote bags? What about this? What about that? You know, can you do jackets? And suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, there is a real need for that sort of to make sustainability easy, because the truth is the complexities of navigating supply chains in the textile category where a garment can change hands seven to 10 times. It's not like a food product. You pick it off the tree and then you eat it, right? Like it's a very different process. Like with cotton alone, you know, you have to harvest the cotton, gin it, spin it. And there's many different layers of spinning. Then you have to knit it or weave it, depending on if it's going to be a knit or a woven or flat knit. And then you have to cut and sew and dye and print and finish and wash and package. And there's just so many layers and many more within there, right? Of the finishing embroidery and screen printing and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, if you don't know what you're doing and you haven't done it, you are definitely vulnerable to missteps. And I think companies started to realize uh-oh, this isn't about staying ahead anymore. It's about not being left behind, being in sustainable textiles. We have to be thinking about social and environmental accountability. And that momentum has been growing, especially, you know, through the pandemic. It is now, it's like game on right now. And so what was happening is I was getting more and more inquiries, but I couldn't scale the current model that I had in Virginia because the factory wasn't equipped to scale. So that then sort of was the catalyst that said, I need to pivot back to India where I had built all my supply chains for under the canopy. And I went to India for several weeks, reignited multiple supply chains, got a GM who was my former GM of under the canopy back on board. We opened an office. He started building a team. So MetaWare was really the first, you know, of the brands within Eco Fashion Corp because it really is the Intel inside. It's the it's the business model that is a platform that can serve all brands and retailers with private label, customized manufacturing, kind of like buildable. You know, what stories do you want to tell? What products do you want to make? What price points are you trying to hit? 
you know, what brand are you looking to do? And then we build and manage your supply chain, my team in India. And that includes, you know, quality control, inspection, sustainability from the certification standpoint, managing every touch point. And now we even recently launched blockchain technology. So all the way to a QR code on your product, we can tell this the story, not just of the journey of the product, but who's making it, how it's being made, what's in it, what are the inputs, where did the cotton come from, meet the farmer, meet the factory workers, women's empowerment, carbon mapping, you know, innovation on fibers like banana. We're doing all kinds of really cool things at Metaware. So all the other brands that we have were kind of born out of Metaware. Really, I mean, they really are metaware brands. So then, let me ask you this: Imagine you go to sleep tonight, and uh, you wake up in a world where the vision of a eco fashion corp is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, well, people have asked me this since I started my career. Like, what is my kind of meta vision, right? And I always say, you know, to make the norm the alternative and the alternative the norm. So when sustainable fashion, you know, that's made ethically, that is part of the circular, regenerative, you know, sustainable world, right? It's about, you know, not just about doing less harm, but it's about doing more good, leveraging the power of fashion and not just fashion, because as you might see from my book, I still obviously am very passionate about food and beauty and all these other, you know, sectors, but it's, it's taking consumer products and, and giving people the ability to vote with their dollars, to choose better so that we can make the norm, the alternative and the alternative, the norm where it's not about, you know, why would you buy organic or sustainable food, beauty, and fashion? It's why wouldn't you? I love it. So that's the, to me, that is the future because the younger generations, you know, they get it. They can pull the curtain back. They can ask the questions. They can unveil the human and environmental impacts of the products that they're buying, the companies and brands they're supporting, um, right. And choosing. And so I think that accountability is, you know, only going to continue to grow, um, especially with the growth of B Corps and social purpose corps and, you know, more and more companies sort of looking at governance from through a different lens. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, imagine if I take you into a time machine, Marcy, and I take you back in time to that moment where maybe you were in your apartment in New York City, like figuring out, just coming out of uh, UC Berkeley and doing your master's and you're like thinking about the world and maybe like launching a company. If you were able to be right there with that younger Marcy and you could give that younger Marcy one piece of business advice before launching a, a company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? <laughs> well, you asked me earlier about investors and I would just say this, especially as a woman in business, you know, I think fortunately the the young women of today who are starting businesses have the support of kind of the Me Too movement sort of, you know, opportunity to sort of make sure that that there's an accountability there. And I think for me, you know, I was probably a little naive. And when I look back on how I chose investors, it never occurred to me that, you know, that was even that could even be a consideration that, you know, I have to be looking at sort of the way men talk to me or treat me, not just are they ready to write a check. And so I, I you know, I would say this, that when you're looking to raise money in business, 
it's not a one-way street. It's not just about the investors interviewing you to see if they want to invest in you. I think it's really important that the young entrepreneurs of today recognize that it is a two-way street, that you're dating them just as much as they're dating you to see, are they the right investor for me? Because the truth is, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time with your investors, especially the bigger ones. You're going to, you know, you're, you're, basically putting your vision in, you know, into the hands of others. And if you don't share that sort of energetic, you know, core values, you know, in some way or, or fundamental ways, it could compromise your vision. And I think that, you know, I've seen way too many of my friends back in the day, you know, sell their companies and stay on, you know, with big corporations because the dangled the, you know, the money in front of them. And that's sort of like, oops, yikes, they, you know, watching companies unravel their business vision because they didn't share those values. Now, this is changing as the world is evolving for sure. A lot of the things I'm speaking to, but I would still say, you know, it is really imperative that every person that you bring into your company, you know, and Horst always taught me, my, the founder of Aveda, that you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And so on every level, your employees, your investors, just be discerning. And that's something that I think you, you're very naive about because you're so excited about people wanting to join you when you're younger. But one bad, you know, weak link can actually bring the whole thing down. Yeah, that's very profound, Marcy. So uh, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Mm. So on Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook, I'm at Marcy Zeroff, which is with an I, Marcy Zeroff. You could DM me there. I MarcyZeroff.com um, is where you could order my book or go to Amazon or QVC, Target.com, all the, the normal uh, booksellers and bookstores. And then um, EcoFashionCorp.com is the landing page that under that you can click over to visit MetaWare. Yes, and Seed to Style uh, and Farm to Home. I would say at Yes, and which is our Instagram, is our D2C brand, and join yesand.com. Check it out um, because now it's time we can, you know, live the change and eat the change and drink the change and be the change and wear the change that we all wish to see in the world. Amazing. Well, Marcy, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you so much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.